This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. By This Standard The Authority of God's Law Today by Greg L. Bonson Published by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas Copyright 1985 Part 3 Antagonism to God's Law Chapter 28 Autonomy and Antinomianism. Quote, Autonomous reasoning may reject our endorsement of the law of God for ethics, but autonomous ethics has nothing finally to offer in its place. End quote. The theological perspective which has been advanced in these chapters has not been formulated or determined by popular opinion polls, a desire to synthesize the wise variety of human attitudes, or even by seeking a middle-of-the-road position among evangelical Bible teachers and pastors. Our aim has been to be faithful to the full range of biblical revelation concerning the validity of God's law and ethics today. We have tried to be true to the Word of God and not the traditions of men. If this effort has enjoyed any significant measure of success, that is, if we have in fact taught what Scripture teaches about God's moral standards, then it would come as no surprise that there exist a number of other positions on God's law or on the norm for ethics which stand in opposition to what has been set forth herein. Many erroneous theories of ethics are flourishing today, and always have, actually. Some are more dangerous than others, of course, but to some extent all depart from what God says about his law. The Autonomy of the Unbeliever The most stark antagonism to the law of God which we encounter will naturally be voiced by those who do not have faith in Christ and who refuse to submit their reasoning and behavior to the revealed word of God. Unbelievers do not, in principle, seek to conform to the commandments of God, and they do not, in principle, have the conviction that they are under obligation to God's law. Yet, unbelievers are never without ethical assumptions, beliefs, and attitudes. Consequently, the thoughtful unbeliever will strive to formulate a philosophy of ethics for himself, if not for others, and his ethical reasoning will be characterized as autonomous. The word autonomy derives from two Greek words, autos, meaning self, and nomos, meaning law. To operate autonomously is to become a law unto yourself. The autonomous philosopher presumes that he can define good and evil according to his own unaided, self-sufficient powers of reasoning. He is not subject to the authority of another, especially that of God, but rather believes that he can competently exercise his own authority in moral matters. The unbeliever seeks to set aside God's law so that he can establish self-law in its place. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 and chapter 2 verses 12 through 26 teach that nobody who has ever lived in God's creation has been unaware of the Creator's standards of conduct. All men, even those who have never heard of the Bible, hinder the truth by means of their unrighteous lives. Yet even though they may not have been privileged to receive a written revelation of the law of God, for example, the oracles of God given to the Jews, count reference chapter 2 verse 17 and verse 27 and Romans chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, the Gentiles who have not the law show the work of the law written on their hearts, Romans 2 verses 14 and 15. In their innermost selves, all men know the requirements of God's law, but they seek to escape that condemning knowledge and to construct substitute theories of ethics for themselves. 
quote, the natural man receives not the things of God's spirit, end quote. 1 Corinthians 2.14 And indeed the mind controlled by the sinful nature is not subject to the law of God and neither can it be. Romans 8.7 By nature the unbeliever must oppose the concept of the law of God which this book promotes. Like Adam their father, unbelievers seek to be like God, determining for themselves what will be good and evil, setting aside God's self-attesting revelation in nature and scripture, and proceeding down the road of sinful rebellion toward the demise of ethics. Plato and Sartre Plato taught that ethics is independent of religion, for the form, or essential idea, of goodness and piety exists apart from the thinking of the gods, who approve of actions by looking above themselves to the absolute, unchanging standards for goodness and piety. Such a view rescued ethical theory, thought, Plato, from both skeptical relativism, since the form of goodness was unchanging and absolute, not depending upon fluctuating human experience or opinion, and dogmatic religion, since goodness or piety did not receive their character from what the gods said about them. But by securing absolute authority for ethics in this way, Plato simultaneously lost ethical relevance, for how is anyone living through the changes of history supposed to know what this absolute standard of goodness requires in day-to-day experience? We never encounter the unchanging form of goodness in our ordinary experience, and so by observation can know nothing of it, and especially nothing of its concrete application to particular moral problems and questions. Plato had a heavenly good, which was of no earthly value. He said that men could know the good by rational intuition, but that only plunges ethics into chaotic relativism once we realize that men differ radically in what they intuit as being good or evil. In many ways, the existential philosophy of Jean-Paul Sartre is quite incompatible with ancient Platonism. Both Sartre and Plato, however, sought to free ethics from the dictates of dogmatic religion. Sartre's starting point was the non-existence of God, from which he inferred that there exists no fixed values whatsoever. Man is totally free to determine for himself what will constitute good and evil. There is no essential idea of goodness which precedes his decisions and stands in judgment over them. Whatever values come into one's life must be freely chosen and defined by him on his own. Unlike Platonism, then existentialism makes ethics very relevant, Far from being unattainable, the standard of right and wrong is immediately accessible to the individual, being completely under his voluntary control. He can readily know what to do in particular ethical situations, for he himself decides what is right and wrong in each case. Of course, this ethical relevance is purchased at the extremely high price of forfeiting the absolute authority in ethics. For Sartre, every choice made by man is absurd, but every choice, providing it was genuinely a free choice, is justifiable. There are not good and bad choices, only choices. What is chosen as right by one individual in a specific situation does not govern what should be seen as right by another individual in a similar situation. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes, and consequently there is no universal binding standard of conduct which can guide and correct our living. Plato had ethical absolutes without relevant applications. Sartre had relevant applications without an ethical absolute. Both problems, ultimately destructive of ethics in their own ways, stemmed from a rejection of God's revelation of his divine law for human behavior. By contrast, the Christian ethic has absolute authority, being based on the revelation of the Lord's will. It also has relevance, for what the all-knowing and all-controlling God says pertains quite specifically to our day-to-day lives and problems. God has clearly revealed unchanging standards for even the most specific aspects of living. 
Autonomous reasoning may reject our endorsement of the law of God for ethics, but autonomous ethics has nothing finally to offer in its place. Autonomy spells the death of an absolute and relevant ethical standard. Varieties of Antinomianism The opponents of God's law in Christian ethics are not restricted to the world of unbelieving thought, and so we must continue our survey of antagonism to the perspective advanced in these studies. Many believing Christians would likewise reject the idea that the law of God is now normative for ethics. They would in one way or another, to one degree or another, and for one reason or another, repudiate the binding authority of the revealed commandments of God. Those who do this are generally known as antinomians, because they are against anti, the law, nomos. Although we must carefully recognize that a wide variety of different attitudes, not all sharing the same problems, fall under this label. We need to draw distinctions. Licentious antinomianism, the most serious form of antinomianism, maintains that since we have been saved by grace, apart from the works of law, we have been set free from the need to observe any moral code whatsoever. Laws or rules have no place in the Christian life, and thus, in principle, the door is open to complete license in the way a believer lives. Such thinking hardly squares with New Testament teaching. Paul not only insisted that salvation was not by works, he also went on to say that salvation is for the sake of doing good works, Ephesians 2, verses 8-10. through 10. He recognized that God's grace instructs us to live righteously in this world, Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. John pointedly said, Sin is lawlessness, 1 John 3, 4. Spiritual antinomianism would admit that the Christian needs guidance for the holy living expected by God, but it would deny that such guidance comes from a written or verbally defined code. Ethical direction is rather found in the internal promptings of the Holy Spirit. Thus, this position is against insisting upon the normativity of God's revealed law, finding such insistence as stifling of the spontaneous work of the Spirit within us. Quite expectedly, such thinking leads quickly to subjectivism in Christian ethics, which each man doing whatever he claims the Spirit has prompted him to do, despite the fact that it conflicts with what the Spirit has prompted others to do, and worse, what the Spirit has revealed once for all in the Scriptures. The Bible teaches us that the Spirit works through the Word, not speaking or directing from Himself. John 16, verses 13-15. through 15. The Spirit works to fulfill the law in us. Romans 8, verses 4-9. through 9. The abiding of the Spirit in believers brings obedience to God's commandments. 1 John 3, 24. Dispensational antinomianism would freely grant that God has revealed standards for living, contrary to licentious antinomianism, and revealed them in written form to be kept, contrary to spiritual antinomianism. However, it would be against the Old Testament law of God as the present-day norm of Christian conduct. This form of antinomianism is called dispensational because it stands opposed to the law of the previous dispensation, the Old Covenant Law of Moses. Today we are told Christians should govern their lives by the commandments of the New Dispensation, or the New Covenant. Such a perspective suggests some rather unacceptable theological implications. For instance, that God's holy character is not reflected in the law, or that his character has changed, so that the law has changed. Moreover, this perspective surely does not comport with the widespread practice of the New Testament writers who rely unapologetically upon the presumed authority of Old Testament commandments. Then again, we have the explicit endorsement of the Old Testament law in statements like Matthew 5.19, 
quote, whoever breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, end quote. Or in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, James 2.10, etc. One wonders also about the ethical norms of the Old Testament, which the New Testament had no occasion to repeat. Are they no longer definitive for good and evil, say the prohibition of bestiality? However, the most obvious difficulty with dispensational antinomianism is that it does not do justice to the very wording of the New Covenant which it seeks to exalt. According to God's word, the New Covenant would mean not the replacing of God's law or its abrogation, but rather its spiritual empowering within us. This is the New Covenant. Quote, I will put my law in their inward parts. End quote. Jeremiah 31.33 Not a new law, but my law, the well-known law, revealed and known through Moses and the other Old Testament writers. Finally, we can mention latent antinomianism as an incipient brand of opposition to God's law. Latent antinomians are not explicitly antagonistic to the law. Instead, they would broadly endorse the Old Testament commandments. But at this point, they would take a smorgasbord approach to the collection of laws found in the Old Testament, accepting some and rejecting others as binding today on some other basis than specific revealed teaching. The latent antinomian is opposed to some laws in the Old Testament, and he has no biblical warrant to offer for his rejection of them. This is not an outright rejection of the category of law, nor of written law, nor of Old Testament law. It is only incipiently antinomian because at heart it opposes the binding authority of certain Old Testament commandments on non-biblical grounds. If the principle of this practice were carried out consistently and self-consciously, it would amount to genuine antinomianism. Latent antinomians usually want the Old Testament law, but not certain categories of it. Example, civil or not its full details. For example, case laws or penal sanctions. If those who felt this way could offer some attempted biblical justification for setting these portions of the law aside, then they might be theologically mistaken, but they would not be latently antinomian. It is the failure to let God's word govern which laws we take as binding and which laws we set aside that makes this position latently antinomian. Jesus said that man must live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth, Matthew 4.4. 4. We cannot subtract from God's law then without his authorization, Deuteronomy 4.2. Over against the unbelieving attitude of autonomy, these studies have promoted theonomy, God's law, instead of being antinomian in either licentious, spiritual, dispensational, or latent ways, they have taken a pronomian stand. In ethics, we presume that God's law from the Old Testament remains normative for conduct until the lawgiver reveals otherwise. Self-law and opposition to God's law are both incompatible with genuine ethical theory and practice. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. 
May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.